Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast. Our guest today is Amy Mehedi. Amy is a transformational biopharmaceutical industry leader and growth strategist with more than 20 years of progressive experience. She develops strategies that boost multi-billion dollar brands, franchises and companies on a global scale. She is a trusted C-suite member and board advisor with expertise spanning global pipeline development, marketing, franchise strategy, market access and M&A. As chief commercial officer at Royvent Sciences, Amy is establishing and leading the company's commercial operations. to drive the corporate strategy Amy was also recognized in Diversity Journal with the 2021 Women Worth Watching Award for leading the way to excellence in workplace the marketplace and the world Hi Amy welcome to the podcast so excited to have you with us here today Hi Divya thank you so much for having me Well I have so many exciting questions for you and let's get started How was your childhood where did you grow up what were some of your aspirations growing up Sure um I grew up in Rhode Island I've lived mostly my entire life in New England. I'd say I was a very serious child, um, you know, very focused and was called an old soul most of my life. Always knew I wanted to do something related to medicine. Um started off with a, a very clear focus in, in veterinary medicine. Uh changed later in my career and obviously led me to pharma. It was a very happy, very busy childhood, I would say. I was a competitive gymnast, so I was constantly going to the gym. It's the equivalent of about a part-time job back then when I think about it. It's amazing. But yeah, so uh I grew up always loving nature, science, cooking, you know, I was constantly busy making or investigating something. So I recently read leaders who have an athlete background, they've been athlete at some point of their lives. are more likely to succeed only because they have the discipline so when you mention you know it's like a second job doing all of the gym practice and everything do you feel the same way did it really set you up for success later in life well you know i'm biased but uh but i think so i think that sports um teach you such important lessons and whether they're independent sports more like gymnastics or team sports um there are so many lessons to be learned but you know one of the things and a, a lot of research has gone into this as well think that separates people who tend to be more successful than not is grit right and it's that perseverance piece to learn that failure is just part of the learning process and you just kind of get used to it and accept it and know that you will eventually achieve what you want if you want it badly enough and you practice and do the work for it so yeah you know you are completely accountable for your results earlier you learn that you're probably better off well said So any people um in your life that really shaped you growing up? So many. I mean my mother first of all, you know, my mother was a single mom uh, very early in my life. My parents got divorced um shortly after I was born and um you know, she worked every job she could to uh take care of my brother and I. You know, had a big focus on education for us. She put us actually in Catholic school when we were very little in kindergarten believing that we would receive a better education than the public school that where we were could at that time and and we got charitable you know donation to do that and i'm so thankful for that but she was a great example of you know work hard and do whatever you need to to take care of each other and um you know she eventually uh became a real estate executive and you know she's retired in cape cod now and you know living a wonderful life and i'm sure that was incredibly hard Um I know it was very hard for her a lot of times. Yeah, I'd say that she was probably my biggest inspiration. And you also mentioned you wanted to do something in uh medicine. So yeah. why medicine? Why not something else? 
Um, you know, it's funny. I, like, I never remember wanting to do anything else. Like, I literally never considered anything but being some form of a doctor. And, um, you know, maybe that was because my, my godfather and, and closest uncle is a veterinarian. And, you know, he, he's what we would call a key opinion leader, you know, in the pharma business. Like he literally writes the textbooks for veterinary school. And, uh, I was just so enthralled with everything that he had to say and his approach to life and the things that he knew. Um, but I was also a kid, you know, on Saturday mornings that, I didn't watch cartoons except for the Ghostbusters. I loved the Ghostbusters. I don't know why, but um, I watched PBS. I loved watching nature shows. I loved watching cooking shows too. Um, but yeah, I just, I always wanted to be a doctor and proactively looked for knowledge, anything that I could that was accessible at my age. So your first job, J&J came and recruited you while you were waitressing. So that's a very yeah. interesting story. If you can shed a little light on that, how that happened. Well, I actually, I mean, I waitressed for a very long time, even after I worked for J&J. I, I had two jobs for quite a long time. Um, but J&J uh, actually recruited me um, out of college. But the way that it happened was just very serendipitously. So I was actually working at the front desk of the place where they were holding a recruiting event. And I didn't even know that they were coming. But somebody who had graduated from my neuroscience program two years previous had come back to lead the event. And as soon as she saw me, she said, Amy, I'm so glad you were, you're here. I was hoping to see you. And I just thought, well, yeah, I work here. <laughs> and she said, no, you dummy. Like, I want you to come and work for J&J. &J. And I, it was funny to me because, again, I was still just on the medical school track. Hadn't thought really about any other careers other than consulting, potentially. You know, I was looking for opportunities maybe to pay down some debt before I went on to medical school. And I didn't even know that pharmaceuticals and, and biotech was a business. Like I'd never thought about, oh, who makes the medicines and how does this even happen? So it was a very serendipitous event where she tracked me down. And then I ultimately took a job working for J&J. &J, and I thought that would be temporary. Uh, and here I am 24 years later still in the industry. That's such a fascinating story, <laughs> you know, how you got recruited and you stayed. So at any point, did you feel that you need to go back to school you know, I I spent my first, I'd say, three years working at J&J &J and all along thinking, you know, I'm squirreling away all of this money and building my, my uh, repertoire of uh, people who can write letters on my behalf to get into medical school, right? And it wasn't until I moved to the headquarters um, and took a job in-house that I my eyes were just so opened by you know, there were so many physicians working there. There were so many bench scientists working there. There were people with policy backgrounds, engineers. It just seemed like, oh, anything is possible. And there are ways to contribute to this healthcare ecosystem without going through the formality of becoming a physician. There are other things that I can do. So that really changed my mind. And uh, I thought, well, I think I'm going to pursue this at least for a while. And, and that stayed with me until I would say... Oh gosh, maybe 10 years later, uh, I I thought again, you know, maybe I should look at going back to school. And I actually started doing my prerequisites again, which was painful, you know, taking anatomy um, one and, and pathophysiology again and like oh, chemistry over again. Then I decided, no, I got a, a different job in the industry. And I thought, oh, I was just bored and, and <laughs> needed something new to do. And uh, once I moved on, then I, I haven't looked back since. 
And then did you have any mentors who really helped you kind of sort all of this out in terms of your career options, where you should be going, what kind of roles you should be taking? Yes, I think I've had the benefit of multiple mentors. And, you know, I, I've never really used that term formally to, you know, say, oh, this is Jennifer. She's my mentor. Well, no, she was, you know, my boss that I developed a special relationship with. And I trusted her implicitly and thought so highly of her. And, you know, she taught me the first things that I needed to know, I think, about leadership. And what it could be like to not only make impact as an individual contributor, but how to scale that and take care of a business and take care of people. And that really fascinated me as an opportunity. So um, people like her um, that I've come across throughout my career, mostly, you know, people that either have been my direct boss or my boss's boss or somebody that's a, a peer of them that I've been able to extract a lot of learning from and and support and advocacy in multiple places. But I mean, I've never had like, you know, that single person, this is my mentor and we meet, you know, once a month and we go over things. Uh, it's always been very organic and I'm thankful for that. And you've had a lot of global roles, right? Where you had to travel, you work with many different countries um, on various levels. What kind of roles should people be looking at? Like we get this question, right? It involves travel. How would that work out? What would you advise our listeners? I would advise anybody that has the opportunity to take on a global role um, to do it. <laughs> it is uh, it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. It opened up my eyes, not only from a business and industry perspective, but from a life and humanity perspective that I just think is so invaluable. And I love to travel now as a result of that and have pass that on to my children, which I think is really exciting um, as well. But uh, it can be very daunting, you know, whether you're traveling internationally or, or domestically, it takes a lot of time, right? And that means you're taking time away from something else or someone else. And, you know, those decisions aren't, aren't things that we come by easily, right? And I have two children, they're now uh, 13 and 15. But I've traveled their entire lives. So um, I've always been somebody that's had to go away to a meeting for a week, you know, and and here or there or down to New York on the train every other week. So they're very used to it. And I have an incredibly supportive husband who, you know, we've been able to flex our schedules. But, you know, my mindset has always been, you know, if there is something that I need to be concerned about in taking a role because there's maybe too much travel, I would rather take it and do it as well as I possibly can. And if I run into a wall to say, this isn't working, then either ask for help, ask for modification, or then decide to do something else. But I'd rather take the chance and say, I think I can figure this out. And that has honestly always worked out because, you know, rules aren't as hard as and fast as they used to be. Like you need to be able to travel 50% of the time. And everybody has a life. There's a lot of flexibility. We can do so much remotely. So I would say always take the chance. That's actually very good advice because a lot of people hesitate and then you lose out on opportunities. And to your yeah. point, you can always make it work. You can ask for help. One other thing which I would love to ask is when your kids were younger, did you have some kind of a support system? Like what really helped you take up these opportunities, go out of the way, knowing that there was somebody or something holding things together? Yeah. When my husband and I first started having children, he was also in pharma. So that was very hard, um, trying to juggle our schedules and who has a program where and who's traveling. And I'm very thankful that we had um, my parents as a backstop. 
they don't live, you know, down the street, but they don't live three hours away either. So they could always make something work in a pinch. But also like our, our children, when they were three months old, went into a wonderful daycare in our neighborhood. You know, that one that was staffed with uh, women who had had their own children that were now grown. So it was like, you know, dropping your child off to a bunch of grandmothers that were so thankful to have these little little babies, you know, and um, and my children just loved it there and prospered there. And that was a, uh, you know, an infant through pre-K type of school. And, you know, those people are still so close and dear to our hearts. And I'm so thankful for them. You know, they all babysat too for my kids afterwards, um, after school. And um, so knowing that it doesn't always have to be your family. Like so many people live far away from their families and that's okay. There are other places to find support system and, you know, plenty of people who are going through the same thing. Networking, a big topic for all of us. What kind of networking really worked for you and how did you even get started? Because a lot of women hesitate to even, you know, approach a stranger, start building that relationship. What has been your approach and how has it worked for you? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I've deliberately networked, you know, um, to me, and maybe it's a connotation I have in my head. It's, you know, I think of networking as like, how am I going to approach this person to get them to do something for me? You know, like it's, I don't think I'd be comfortable doing that, first of all. Um, but uh, I think I've resulted in having a great network because I've been interested in people. You know, I've been fascinated by what they do. I want to learn from them. But also there was a two-way component of that. You know, that if I reached out to somebody and said, hey, can we have a coffee? Like, I'd love to learn more about how you got where you are and what you're doing now and what it's like. But also, if there's anything that I can ever do to help, you know, if there's a project that you need some extra hands on, you know, please don't hesitate to call me. I think in doing those types of things, I, you know, established myself as somebody who wants to put in the effort and is curious. Because of that, I think people gave me an opportunity and I created a, maybe a positive impression in their, their minds that led to us staying connected. I not like somebody to go out and say, I have a networking event tonight. I'm going to go make some new friends. Um, but the world is so connected and I love finding those connections and, and learning about people. And I just think if you approach it very organically with a, an authentic curiosity, um, and interest in people, then you'll ultimately end up with a network. And you said it right. It's a small world. At the end of yeah. the day, everybody knows everybody. So as long as you make the deep connections, you will always have somebody who will help when you need it. You don't have to make a connection for the help. Exactly. And you'd be surprised where those things come from. You know, when I got that first job at J&J, um, getting recruited was one thing, but passing the final interview process with the regional, regional business director was another. And I was actually, for that job, I was up against somebody who was an, an RN. And who was clearly more qualified than me as, you know, a 22 year old coming out with no experience um, in healthcare other than an internship. But it turned out he was a South African rugby player and I played rugby in college. So um, we connected on that and he thought, you know what, like, I'm going to take a chance on this collegiate rugby player that's a neuroscience major and we'll see where it goes. And uh, and that was great. So you never know. Now, knowing everything you know about life, about work and everything else, what would be two pieces of advice you give your younger self? Oh, I would say, you know, don't try to plan so much. 
it's not going to go that way anyway, you know, and, and as much as I know that rationally, I'm still somebody that likes to have a base plan to know if everything falls apart, there's still something salvageable that can move forward. Right. But yeah, I think, you know, I, I spent my whole life making sure that plans were in place so that I could end up in a certain place again, being a doctor, which didn't turn out, you know, I remember having a conversation. Actually, I remember the look on my mother's face when we had this conversation in third grade, we were moving and that meant going to a new school. And my mom said, well, do you want to go to the public school? You've been a Catholic school this whole time. Do you want to go? And I said, well, if I go to the Catholic school, I have a better chance of getting into this specific high school and this specific high school. If I graduate from there, I'll have a better chance of getting into a better college. And then I have a better chance of going to medical school. And she looked at me like, you're nine what are you, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> and I, I'm like, well, why isn't this just a natural thought process for you? So I think I would have done a less of that, you know? <laughs> gone with the flow, maybe a little bit more. But see, where I come from, that's perfect. So let me ask you this. So if you had to look back and look at one of the mistakes, like your biggest mistake in life, hmm. how did it really impact you and your career? And what did you learn from that? Yeah, I don't think like there's this massive mistake, you know, that I look back and go, oh, that really screwed things up. You know, I believe everything happens for a reason, even the bad stuff. And, you know, you, there is no learning without adversity and challenge, right? So that's all part of the process. But, you know, there there are mistakes that I've made that I make every day. I'm sure I've made five mistakes today, you know, but I think the grouping of mistakes that I, I really, that bothers me the most is, you know, those times, particularly when I was younger in my career, maybe not speaking up as much as I should have, you know, being deferential to people in the room when I didn't need to be. Maybe I would have ended up in a different place. Maybe I would have gotten somewhere faster. Uh, but it, it took me a while to learn to, you know, sit at the table with my shoulders back and my voice strong. And I could have learned that earlier. And if you look at other women who work with you, work for you across the board, what are some of the things that we as women do a lot of that you feel is something that really inhibits our career progression? Well, first of all, I think maybe similar to what we were talking about before, making an assumption about what you think you can take on and what you think you can't. Because in general, I would say women have maybe more on their plate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of things to juggle. You know, we think about family, we think about, and family is not just children and husband and, you know, whatever partner. And it's also grandparents, right? And, you know, what are we doing and how are we planning for the holidays and what are we doing for vacation? We're juggling a lot. So realizing all of that and then saying, well, maybe I shouldn't take this role because it might be too much. I'm not sure that I can handle it is a mistake because like I said before, you will figure it out, you know, just always assume that you're going to be able to make it work. And I promise you, you'll find a way to figure it out. Uh, so I think taking ourselves out of the running before we even get the opportunity to start running um, is a big mistake. Anytime that you had to face perceptions, very typical to women, how did you deal with those situations and what helped you? You know, so somebody once described me, I thought this was really funny, as charmingly aggressive. And uh, I think that you can get away with being very direct when you're also very amiable, right? And maybe that's a female thing as well. But, you know, I like to joke around. I like to be lighthearted. 
And I think that you can let people know when they've rubbed up against something that maybe isn't completely appropriate or, you know, might have a little bit of bias in it um, and let them know in a, in a way that's not attacking or hypercritical, right? So, but those situations can be uncomfortable. And, you know, depending on, on the situation, it might require a different course of action. But I, I tend to not let things go, particularly if it's been multiple times <laughs> that, you know, just having a conversation of, you know, I'm sure you didn't intend, but the way that I received this was uh, types of conversations. And I've never come across somebody who said, no, actually, I meant for you to take it that way. <laughs> I think it's been very productive on both ends. In closing, any final comments for our listeners? You know, I think, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, future planning that you want to do for your career. And um, I would say if you focus on knowing yourself, first of all, like that, that's the journey, right? That's the journey of life is figuring out who am I and what makes me tick and why do I do the things that I do? How can I be excellent at what I'm doing right now? If you do that, opportunities are going to come your way. And then, you know, always keeping in mind, how am I helping others along the way? If you can do those things, I think you're in a great spot and you're going to have lots of opportunities. And um, more importantly, you'll be happy. Thank you so much, Amy. This was such a good conversation. Thank you so much, Divya.